Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. I'm Ashley Steckler. And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 363 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm talking with Stephanie all about the future of tech in your law firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by Postali and Posh Virtual Receptionists. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So, Ashley, new year, new everything, new goals. This is a time for setting up new stuff. What do you think about new goals at the beginning of the new year? Yeah, I think that the new year, I know that sometimes people say, oh, let's start new patterns, new goals. Think about where, what we want and where energy is going at any time of the year. But I think there's a natural reset and restart when we, especially as we finish off whatever our holiday season looks like, we're getting into the new year. At Lawyerist, we're talking about a lot of yearly goals that we have planned and what's coming up. And I know our team is thinking about some larger goals that we have for the end of the year and what that looks like now, if we are going to scope, build, test, and launch something, we need to be thinking about it now. And I think that goes, um, at least for me, the same with my personal goals. As we start this new year, It's an easy, good time and place to sit down and think like, what do I want this year to look like? How do I want that to go? And what little things am I going to do along the way to make sure at the end of the year, whenever I want to reach that goal, I have a cadence, a rhythm, a habit that I've been incrementally working on in order to get there. I think sometimes when we set goals, we go, especially in January, especially with the sometimes goal setting climate of like all in, right? January, Mm -hmm. set it, go all in and make sure that you get there and don't let that falter. And I think sometimes that might hold us back, not allowing room for part of consistency is working up to that and not thinking about like, let's do five new things every day now go right this is interesting because there, there's about as you're talking there's about three things that kind of came to mind one is why the new year why you could set goals anytime and frankly it's it's a touch point we need a touch point we need a point to say okay we, we have to set new goals because we do we need to reassess as we go and the other that you're talking about more interesting for me is the idea of Not necessarily packing everything in and having the whole goal and the whole, you know, all of Rome built, Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's, we can have smaller goals, we can have iteration. And if we don't have these touch points, then we don't know how well we're doing with these iterations because we, we can't just build everything at one time necessarily, you know, in a way, the difference between some of the ways that we 
have developed software in the past and agile development now. You know, we we don't sit down and mm -hmm. scope out the entire piece of software anymore. We say, okay, well, what's our what's our small sprint? And we go and we take care of that and we get things done little by little and, and iterate through. But the third thing that I heard in there, and I don't know that you were necessarily saying this, is the ability to fail. Yeah. Not saying, okay, I'm gonna do 90 days of blank. And if I don't do 90 days, if I get to day 13 and you know, I've done it wrong. I failed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think you said something right there too, that we still commonly position that as make room to fail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for me, at least it works better. If I think to myself, make room to allow spaces to not always. Right. Yes. And so when I think about my own personal habits, I like to put them on a pie chart. Mm -hmm. And so I like circles. I like everything in circles because we only have so much amount of time. We have so much amount of energy, right? And we need to fit that all. How do those things fit in our lives? Or if we think about goals, how much time or project goals, how much time do we have? What does the complete picture look like? And what is that made up of? And when I think about those little habits that are going to allow me to reach that end point, there needs to be room for that not to be all filled in, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people think about it in terms of like mark off every day on the calendar, right? Make a chain, make sure that you are mm -hmm. moving towards that thing every day. And I think at least for me, sometimes, especially when we conceptualize it culturally in a way where we say, make room to fail. We talk about it in those terms so often. I, at least <laughs> for me individually, in order to healthfully reach that goal, I need to allow some space to put it on pause, right? Like we can't mm -hmm. do things all the time, every day. We can't rush toward the goal line every day, all the time. And so I think sometimes if we maybe think about it, at least this helps me in terms of finding consistency in a way that it's most of the time mm -hmm. allows us some of that space to find a break. So that's a funny word too. Yeah. <laughs> room to fail, room to have a break, right? Room to find space, but not saying, and I think we do that as part of the new year, part of this reset that's like a hard reset at the beginning of the year. We have it seasonally, right, throughout the uh -huh. year, but hard reset. Okay, now go and do these five. What do you want to do this year? Five things, 10 things? Make sure you're doing them every day. And I think, at least for me, building up that pressure to say day 37, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. That is not, and I'm sure there are people that operate that way. That is not the way that I'm able to operate. I remember I quit smoking while studying for the bar. So got out of law school, was studying for the bar, and I, I quit smoking. And I had tried different ways. I had tried the patch. I had tried various things to stop smoking. And finally, I just said, okay, well, I'm just not a smoker anymore. And allowed myself the ability to not have it have to be whether I smoked that day or not. You know, yeah. even if I did, quote unquote, fail, I was still not a smoker. 
And that worked for me. Yeah. Eventually, I didn't smoke at all. But it was like I, I couldn't have that. Okay, Zach, day one to the rest of your life, no smoking ever again. And if you do, you have failed the test. That doesn't failed. work for yeah, me. Yeah, you're a smoker yeah. again. And you get up and you say, okay, well, now I've got to start over. No, you don't have to start over. You're, you're still not right. a smoker. You just didn't do it that great yesterday, you know, and I, and I think goals are, are better set up that way for me, at least. I agree. And I think it's interesting that you and I think about it and work in those same ways. I think one thing that's important, maybe this isn't consistent for everyone else, but if you are thinking about where do I want to be in the future, what kinds of things do I want to spend my time on or say is done, right? Where, where am I going to go this year? What are the important things that I want to do? And what are the little steps that I'm going to take on the way to get there? And then allow for them to be some, allow for there to be some space in that. Yeah, I think so. And iterating into that. Absolutely. Well, now we have my conversation with Stephanie. Hey, Zach, I'm excited to have this chat with you today because roll up your sleeves, everyone. I think we're going to take we're going to go into the next level of tech solutions for your firm. That's what I'm going to promise everyone. How's that sound? I think that's, you know, always promise what, you know, <laughs> always promise on the front end. Pretty, pretty heavy there. No, but I, I think you're right. I think, you know, talking about we're at a place, a lot of us have taken, you know, that next step. We're in an uncomfortable step, but there's, there's more out there that can be done from our perspectives of uh, lawyers, of business owners, of, you know, everybody kind of starting to look at what are people looking for when they interact with us. All right. So before we get ahead of ourselves, because we're getting there, people, we should probably slow down and say, when we think about technology and how we're using it for our firm, I mean, let's just recap for everyone what we would say step one is. So what's the first step you need to take? First step when you're, when you're thinking about technology, I mean, you've got to kind of draw out your processes. You have to document everything that you, that you're, firm does because we don't go and get technology for the sake of getting technology. We don't go out and say, I want to use Monday uh, project management software. How do I make that work for my firm? We say, no, we have projects to manage. What's the best project management software out there? What's the one that works for us? And so documenting your process is really a step beta. It's, it's even a pre-step one. <laughs> and then I think step one is going and getting everything or something to handle every one of the processes that you've documented. Yeah. So get the tech that you need. Is that a fair way of saying it? Get the tech you need and don't be too picky. Don't be concerned about trying to get the perfect tech right then. Just get stuff that does the job, makes it work. It can overflow. It can overlap. It can be somewhat inefficient for you. Just get the tech. Okay. I love it. So now we have all this tech. We're fast forwarding. So then what do we do with it? <laughs> Well, you've got to, and I think we've talked about this before, you, once you build that, that tech, it's kind of like going out and getting the piece of marble. Go and get a large enough piece of marble for you to make the sculpture. And then step two is start to make that sculpture. Start to take away the excess stuff and make it look like your practice. Start to get rid of things that are duplicative. Get rid of what I call low-hanging fruit, You know, things that are going to either save you time or save you money by getting rid of them. And then go get the things that are the perfect or closer to the perfect platform or piece of software that does the job. And you do that by doing a tech audit. Every quarter, you go back through your list of tech that you have 
you associate it with those features that you need to handle. And then you get rid of the excess stuff and you add stuff that you need. Yeah. We did a whole episode on that. So check it out if, if mm-hmm. that's something that you need to do. So you've done your tech audit. You're using tech. You're using it smartly. It seems like then there's a natural progression to where law firms in particular, since that's who we're talking about, where they tend to go with their business. So let's maybe enter into that world. So we have tech. Now we're using it. And now what do we want to do? I think a lot of firms now, and we talk about productizing our legal services a lot, but I think a lot of firms now say, hey, I've got all this technology that's working for me internally. It's making me efficient. It's doing the job. Can I make this face outward a little bit? Or how can I make myself more efficient by bringing my clients into the process? When my father was starting out to practice, the client didn't fill things out. They didn't handle things in there and and write down information or put information into the computer. But now we have the ability to do that, to bring the client into the process with us and kind of get them some information without a lot of our effort. Yeah. And we talk a lot about productizing our services. And, you know, I'm curious because I think that's what you're hinting on a little bit here. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you think about that in terms of what does that look like and, and how do you see that playing out in firms? I think it's a natural progression for efficiency and productivity. You know, somebody is going through their tech audit and they're looking to see where their where their efficiencies lie or where they can gain efficiencies and they've made everything internally very very streamlined. And they start to say, "Okay, how can we provide something to our clients in a way that is still at the level of service that we want and have and provide? How can we provide it to them?" where they don't really have to interact with us? How can they kind of purchase a one-off thing? And that can be a loss leader. Um, it can be something that you, you send out for very inexpensive, like a power of attorney can a lot of times be a loss leader for somebody coming in and doing a will. But you, you start to look at that and provide services to people without really interacting with them in a way that I think people are really starting to interact with or have been interacting with the internet lately. Yeah, or maybe... You know, I always think about that too. It, it may not be the full scope of your firm. I know everyone, some people are really nervous about that, right. but this could be a separate offering that you do. It could just be something that you offer to people who maybe can't afford your full scope services, but here's a way I can mm-hmm. help you on this limited basis and in a different way or something maybe you don't like doing. I know some attorneys who are like, I just don't want to do that work anymore. But could I find a way to do it, like use technology and automate it and make it easier, then maybe it would be a little bit more fun and more profitable. Right. Well, and I think a lot of some specific areas of law lend themselves to that a lot more, like areas of law that create more documents. I think about business formations. In Tennessee, if you want to form a single member LLC, there's not really much to it. There can be. But if you want to do it simply, if you just want to work out of your, your house and your, you know, from your dining room table, there's not a lot that goes into spinning up a business. And so that is something that could be, with the right questions, productized pretty easily. Same thing with, with residential leases could be productized pretty easily. And, and so, yeah, we're not going to productize defending somebody for drug charges. Yeah. We're not going to do that. But there are things that lend themselves to that and we can keep a good quality control over. 
I'm glad you said that because I I do think some attorneys like I can probably feel the tension some people have in their back right now where they're like <laughs> they're saying that word and I don't want to productize my services. I offer something really special and really unique and I bring my highest and best mind to it and it can't be automated by machine and we're not advocating that it needs to be right. but that certain parts of your practice potentially could maybe not but for some lawyers it could. Well and and if you're not are you selling yourself as that? If you're doing bespoke contracts every single time, are you actually setting yourself up and advertising yourself as the person who does bespoke contracts and this is why you need to, to pay for this? Or are you just saying, I do contracts and then you happen to do all of them bespoke? And I think that's something to think about is, yeah, maybe you can't productize any of the services that you do. But are you selling yourself as somebody who can't productize the services that they do? Is it, is it something that you've recognized and said, there are enough clients out there for me to do that? And those are the clientele that I'm going after. Just be thoughtful about it. Yeah, such great advice. And so I'm just kind of in my mind thinking about how we might be moving through this where initially we, and the website's a great example because most firms by now have a website, I hope. Hopefully. Yeah. So a lot of times our website starts as a tech tool that we use and maybe the problem it's solving is around marketing. And I often call it like our electronic business card, right? It mm -hmm. confirms you are who you are and somebody can go Google you and say, yes, Zach is a lawyer and he does what I need him to do. And he has an office and I can hire him. And that's probably where it, it starts. So that might be like phase one of how we're using this tool. I think that's exactly right. It, it becomes a billboard. Yeah. And it just gives people your email address, gives people your web uh, way of contacting you, phone number, fax, I don't know. But that is just sending information out into the ether and saying, I hope that this spotlight hits somebody appropriately. And I hope that they are able to contact me, but you still have to have them call you, still have to have them email you. They have to actively contact you and then set up some sort of meeting. And you still have to get information from people. It is a way of just advertising, which is good. And I'm glad people have that now. But a website, you own a piece of the internet. This is a place on a server, on a computer somewhere that is your little space on the internet. And it can do so much more than just, you know, blast your name out into the night. Oh, I like that visual that you just gave us because I don't think people think always about their website as an asset that they own or as a business tool that they could use. And so as we move from billboard into next level, and as you think about productizing, like now your website becomes a place where you can go and interact with clients or they can provide information. Like you were talking about filling out that form, maybe complete a template that right. take that next step. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people are going right now is making it a place where the consumer can interact, can give you some information, can fill out a contact form, can possibly even schedule an appointment with you or something like that. They can do another step and interact with it a little bit. Yeah. And that's great because we're providing more services and it starts to feel like a virtual office at that time. And I don't, I don't want people to think of a virtual office as, as like the metaverse. It's not someplace where you virtually sit in front of each other. I mean, it could be, I guess, but it's not someplace where you virtually sit in front of each other, but it's a place where you virtually interact like you would at your office. Yeah. You ask them questions. They answer questions. You, you get more information. 
a lot of firms now are using client portals. And so now your website becomes more than a billboard. It's a place where clients go to get their documents, mm -hmm. to give you their, doc, you know, upload their documents, find out what's been scheduled and when their hearing is or whatever is happening in their case or read your notes. So I could see mm -hmm. that being kind of the, the next level of how we're interacting with people on the web. Yeah, it's a way for them to download and upload information. And they're still interacting with your with your firm. There's You still have pretty good rails on it, but they're still just kind of transferring information back and forth between you and your firm. Yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to move into the next level, maybe the level some people are starting to think about, but everyone's like, hmm, mm -hmm. what would that look like? The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based, live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash lawyerist. And from Postali. Finding a marketing partner for your firm can be challenging. Are you getting sound advice? Is your marketing agency always working in your best interest? You shouldn't have to worry about these things. At Postali, they believe marketing companies should adopt the same duty to their clients that is required of the legal profession. For this reason, they require that all team members sign a fiduciary oath to act in good faith and put clients' best interests ahead of their own. They service with care, candor, and loyalty. Postali is a full-service digital marketing agency exclusively for lawyers. To learn more about how they're different, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. All right, Zach, we're back. And this is what I promised everyone at the top of the show. So I think a lot of people, like you said, we're starting to use our websites more as an interactive place for our clients to come and, and talk to us or get, give us information, get information. So what should we be thinking about next when we think about the next thing in tech or how we're using, uh, how we're using all these tools? Yeah. So if step two is productizing, and I think people are still on, on productizing it, and that, that's a fine place to be. But step three, to me, is platformatizing, creating a place where people can come and work. They can get something done on your website. For example, in, I did landlord-tenant law when I was practicing, and I can envision a scenario where my website, in phase two, somebody might come onto my website and they would be able to create a residential lease. They log in, they create a residential lease, and they get a lease for the specific county that they're in, and everything gets filled out, and it, it looks great. Charge them. I didn't have to do very much, but I still have some pretty good controls over it. But phase three would be they come onto the website, and they're able to manage their residential leases. They're able to manage the properties that they have on my website. You could take payments from your tenants on this website, and then this site could then tell you, well, A, it could tell you that, that they haven't paid, but B, 
it could go ahead and send out a letter. Oh, yeah. That said, hey, you're a delinquent. It sends out the correct letter based on, on these parameters that you set up. That's not to say this is the only thing to do, but thinking about your website as a platform where people can come and get a solution to their problem as opposed to a product that is a legal product. Yeah. I mean, that's so powerful. So like thinking through the iter- the iteration of this, it's like at first they came and they just consumed content, right? They just got information. Mm-hmm. Then they come and they interact with you a little more and maybe they get this product, they get the templated document. And now the next phase is they're coming and getting us a, a solution to their problem. And what could that mm-hmm. look like? And as you know, as you started to kind of open up this idea for me, because I think it helps to have examples. So yours is a great one. Mm-hmm. And I know lawyers who are like, you know, even like a, a family law, divorce lawyer, you know, a lot of, for a lot of people, that representation doesn't end when the f- divorce is final because there's kids right. and there's ongoing problems. So I was like, I started thinking, I was like, oh, what if this, you know, your site becomes the platform where they go to monitor all the visitation schedules for the year or mm-hmm. decisions that need to be made on behalf of the child or or whatever kind of post decisions that you think about, like this becomes the le- living, breathing place where that couple now comes to interact when it comes to these issues. Am I thinking about that the right way? I think so. That's the way I think of it, because now you are saying, I'm creating a solution for you. I'm creating a place to manage your problems, which is really what people want from a lawyer. And we all know this. They don't want a memo. They don't want a motion. They don't want a drill. They want a hole. You know, we're, we're selling them solutions to problems. And so sometimes those don't look like legal documents. Sometimes they look like just letting them know, is this person interacting with their side of the contract appropriately as well? As we get more connected devices, we start to create more inputs for these things. You know, this isn't something that we could have done in 1066. You know, we, we couldn't have tracked this stuff. But as we get more, more device inputs, we can, we can track certain things and, and have, have information that we wouldn't have necessarily had before. Payments that are made. Uh, if you're thinking about alimony payments, you could connect this. I could envision a scenario where you could connect this to your bank using the, the connecting platform Plaid, and it could look for a check from this party and say, okay, this check came in from this party. Boom. We're good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And I was just thinking like we had a lawyer in lab that we worked with who part of his practice was around compliance issues, right? So if your job is to help your clients stay in compliance with securities regulations, right? So he was Mm -hmm. mapping out processes that um, financial advisors need it to follow. These are the 15 steps you have to follow in these deals to make sure you're following all the laws. So now instead of just saying, here's the 15 steps, it's like, here's the platform we have built for you that's going to make sure you follow all 15 steps or an alarm goes off if you don't or whatever gets triggered. I mean, I'm just kind of spitting all this out. I don't know if it's right. <laughs> right. I, hi, you know, manager of this company. Have you had your annual meeting this year? Have you filed your your annual report or would you like us to file your annual report for you using this information that you've tracked in the system the entire time? You know, I, I can think about, especially again, when you get to more document-based things or document and contract-based things, it's not inconceivable to think that they could be taken into a platform like this. I was talking with an attorney the other day who has a 
piece of software that they've built that helps people track the obligations of contracts. So it, it helps corporations track these obligations on both sides of their contracts. And it helps if they're IT obligations, you know, and it says in these contracts, it's this IT company agrees that they will provide X amount of uptime for this platform. And they have these inputs that do keep track of what the uptime, you know, what the downtime is. And if the downtime that is allowable is exceeded, well, then it creates a warning essentially that says, hey, they breached the contract. Would you like to tell them that they breached the contract or would you like to ignore this? You know, and so now you have tracking of when you ignored that breach of the contract. I mean, it's so smart. And I think, and this is where you started the whole conversation. So maybe this is a great place to kind of wrap it up is it takes stepping back and thinking through the problems and the problems adjacent to what you solve. Mm -hmm. And the kind of the non-legal example that came into my mind that probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with is Gusto. So Gusto is a Mm -hmm. online platform for payroll that's super fun. And we use it here at Lawyerist and, and, you know, it's, it's quirky and it's fun way. I think we like that, like the little pig. (laughs) Um, But then it made sense to me when they were like, and now we can handle your benefits. So, you know, and then this year they just rolled out employment reviews, like manage. So you've already got your, when a new hire comes on, you're already processing. Like we send our offer letter through Gusto. We collect all the new hire documents through Gusto. So of course it makes sense that they're now building out a platform where we can actually manage the HR relationship we have with our team members. Like they've already got their payroll stuff there. Why wouldn't we go and record performance reviews and professional development plans in Gusto? Because that just, Mm -hmm. that's when I saw them roll that out, I was like, that makes sense. That's the next step. And so I'm thinking like, if you're an employment lawyer, I could see you offering these, you know, you need to start, you have to step back and think I am here beyond maybe just how I think about my practice. Now there's these other opportunities. Like if there's mandatory training in your state, which I know there are in in a lot of states, like, are you helping your clients track? Did everyone get their training this year? Like you said, like, did everyone check this box? And if not, then by the way, they need to sign up to come to our next virtual training that the law firm provides as part of our package or whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. So I get excited. I mean, obviously I just keep coming up with these ideas for people. So I hope this is helpful because I didn't have any of this planned, people. This is all from just exactly inspiring me right here. So, but that's the point is that you have to kind of start having right. these conversations and engaging in it. And then it opens up the possibilities for how you help your clients in a new and I think really exciting and thoughtful way. You're only adding more value to your clients. And, and I think the examples we gave were both business and consumer. So it, it really can apply to anyone. Right. It can. And I think that's the thing is adding more value to your clients and giving them help in places they they know they need help, but they didn't think they needed you. Exactly. And I mean, honestly, this is what we're doing with our lawyers in the lab program right now. And so I'm super excited. We haven't even officially rolled all this stuff out yet, but we've been building a platform that's going to allow firms to manage their business within our platform. And I think that's Mm -hmm. us taking it to the next level. Like, okay, now you can come here for your management leadership team agendas. You can come here to manage your priorities for the quarter and your KPIs and all these key components that we always talk about. And now we're going to be able to say, like, here's the platform where you track all that. We can see it, too, so that we can help you and hold you accountable. 
I'm really excited. So I hope this has inspired somebody as, as much as I just got inspired. <laughs> I am too. And I think that's the thing I, I like that we, we're not just saying that this is, you know, wouldn't it be nice if people did this? We're certainly going that direction ourselves with these things. And that's why I, I want to talk about it with, with attorneys and get them to kind of think in this way. Obviously, there are some we need to make sure that we think through ethical implications. We need to think through our, our state rules. I mean, those are given. We've got two lawyers here talking to each other. Those are, those are given issues. We know that. But you can still get creative and you can still serve your clients in a, in a bigger and broader way. Yeah. All right. I'm excited. I wonder if anyone got to get inspired by this. I'd love for you to email us. Sometimes we don't ask you about that, but sometimes I wonder, and I do, we do love when we hear from you guys. So if anyone wants to reach out at stephanie at lawyers.com or Zach is Zach at lawyers.com, mm-hmm. tell us your big idea coming out of this. Maybe it, it just has to sit inside you for a couple months. So we get that. It's not going to be immediate, but I hope that you start thinking about the opportunities for your business and for how you can really add value to your clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can also find us on Twitter at, at, at lawyerist. Ah, um, yeah. So you can tag us in, in one of your, one of the tweets that, uh, that you're talking about this. We'd love to hear from people. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Stephanie. We'll see you next time. The Lawyerist podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.